how many of you are already thinking through New Year's resolutions? Be honest. New Year's resolutions, people. How many of you are anti-New Year's resolution for whatever reason? You just don't believe in it. You know you're going to fail on January 2nd anyway, so why even do this ridiculous thing, this American notion, we're going to pick up our bootstraps and make ourselves better, or whatever your outlook is. I appreciate your honesty. Um, Here's the thing, is that uh, I know that in this new year, you're going to encounter daily decisions and defining moments. You're going to encounter, as you go through your new year, 2013, daily decisions and defining moments. Your defining moments are going to come out of nowhere oftentimes. Maybe they'll be, they'll be creeping in, but they'll still be somewhat out of your control, and it's going to require you to respond and to act, to take action in some way that will be significant for you. And one of the ways that you prepare for those defining moments, because Sometimes, you know, usually they're completely out of your control and you never know when you're going to get hit by one. One of the ways that you prepare for such a time as that is by making consistent daily decisions. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about what it looks like to choose daily who you want to be. My encouragement in light of this uh, 2013 and the swirl and the hoopla of New Year's resolutions is to put that idea on the shelf And instead, today, consider a new day's resolution. Can you just consider what it would be like to set a goal or to to make some decisions to decide who you want to be today? Don't worry about the next 365. Just think about today. What would it look like to begin to put some patterns, some decisions, some choices in place that would prepare you for later? But really what we're just talking about is today. Because here's what I know. I know that for, for most people, New Year's resolutions fail for one of these reasons. The first reason they fail is that you don't have a plan to really integrate the decision into your life. So you hear something from Dr. Phil or from Dr. Oz or from Say by the Bell Rerun, and you think this is This is good stuff. I am going to apply that to my life in 2013. But you don't really get to the next step of thinking through what that practically looks like. So people fail in their New Year's resolutions because they don't plan. The second reason why we don't execute them when we fail is because we just add and we never subtract. Maybe you're someone who just every year you just heap on new expectations for yourself. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this better, and I'm going to do this more. And you never take away. You're only adding to the equation and not subtracting. And eventually you're going to get overburdened, overwhelmed, and you're going to give up on everything, on all the good plans that you had, because you just added too many on. So maybe for some of you this year, And in these next few minutes, perhaps, God will bring to your attention some things that you need to just delete. You need to create a not-to-do list, and you need to eliminate these things from your routine, from your habits, from your patterns, and not just keep adding. A third reason that people don't live up to and execute on their New Year's resolutions is because they don't have enough meaning behind them. Something might seem like a good idea. You might see someone else that's doing it. 
but you personally don't have real conviction behind it. You don't associate enough meaning and purpose to this idea, to this decision. And so when things get hard, you don't carry it out. You don't see it through because it doesn't mean enough or you haven't put it in a strong enough context to endure, to to push through the pain. And then the, the fourth thing is simply what I mentioned is that we think in terms of the whole year instead of just one day at a time. So when we fail for a day, we think, oh, I, I just blew it for my 2013 resolution. Instead of waking up the next day and thinking, no, I'm going to start again today. I'm going to do this today. So that's what I want to give you. That's what I feel like is God has in store for us this morning is some kind of a, a hopeful framing of what new, this new year might hold for you personally. I believe whether this is your first time ever in church, your first time in this church, or maybe you think you've got this thing down, I still believe that he wants to say something to you about what you will do in this next year to become more of who he designed you to be, whether you know that or not, whether you believe that yet or not that he will say something to you about your goals, your expectations for 2013 and how that begins today, day one of 365. Look at Psalm 118 with me. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This, this is the day that the Lord has made. Did you know that you can only live in this day? Some of you are trying to live in the future. I know you are. You can't. Others of you still have your Letterman's jacket in your closet. You're still, you're still living in the past. That's over. Your knees, they're shot. You know, you're not that cool anymore. You can only live in this present day. You can only connect with your creator in this present day. All you have is today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, let alone all 365. And yet, this is the day that the Lord has made. You can rejoice, you can get excited about, you can make the most of this day. And that's what you're invited into this morning. Then look at this next verse in Matthew 6. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount says, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and his priorities and his agenda. And all these other things will be given to you as well. All these other things that you think about, worry about, and want, they'll be given to you as well. Don't worry about that. Focus on him, focus on the ultimate thing, and he'll take care of the other things, the peripheral things. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If you are going to live for the things that matter most, if you are going to look for God in the everyday moments, if you're going to enter into this mystery of what it means to live connected to him and for his kingdom, you're going to have to eliminate some things. And one of those things is worry. You can't worry about the future and live in the present moment. Worrying about the future robs you and paralyzes you in the present. My wife has a, has a, aunt. Uh, we have a particular family member who is an aunt. And she, is, uh, she stresses Hillary out a lot. And so when the holiday seasons come up, there's, there's family drama, right? It brings it to the surface. You realize the dysfunction in your family. You own it or you're in denial. You avoid it or you embrace it, but it's there. I know it is. It's, it's there in some way for all of us. And so 
For Hillary, there's, there's an aunt who kind of continually stirs up trouble in the family. And so the aunt will go to the grandparents uh, who are just hanging on in their 80s and she'll like poison the well and be like, what are you doing talking negatively to the grandparents about these other family members? And so Hillary then gets nervous and scared and defensive because she thinks, well, she's, she's saying negative things about the grandparents. Should, should I defend myself? Should I enter in? And then she will spend a lot of time worrying about how she's perceived by grandparents and other family members because this aunt is a little bit crazy and is always stirring up trouble. You can't live in other people's heads. You can't worry about your, how you are perceived or how things will play out in the future. If you do, it robs from you in the present moment. After I shared this, I had her permission, by the way, uh, she, she says to me afterwards, yeah, you know, that's, that's totally true because when I can't let go of that, when it's out of my control and I can't let go, then I'm going and I'm going to work and I'm, I'm venting, I'm looking for validation instead of just showing up and loving on the people that I'm with. I'm needing something from them because I'm worried about this thing. So if you are going to live for the things that matter most in 2013, starting today, you're going to have to let go of worry and fear of the future and how things may or may not play out that are out of your control. And if you're going to do that, one of the things that Hillary and I do is we ask ourselves a couple of questions. The first is this, where is God in this? So if we come to an issue, if we come to an obstacle, if we come to a a, a situation that's causing us anxiety or worry, we'll ask, where is God in this? Can we find God in this? Is there a lesson? Is this a test? Is Is there a way that we are supposed to respond in a way that's honoring to God? Where is he in this? And then the second thing we'll ask is, is there something that I can do immediately that will produce a better outcome? Is there something I can do right now that is good, that is healthy, that is right? And then oftentimes, there's not. And in that case, you just have to let it go. Because otherwise, we will just go on worrying, and it will pull us out of the present moment. So once we we get real with that kind of reality, that God wants us to live in today, that this is the day that he has made. Don't worry about the future. Live in this moment today. And once we get that down, then we look then we look to God's word and say, okay, so what, is, what does it look like to really live in today? What, what are the things that I should be focused on today? And for that answer, we're going to go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, and then we're going to look at the Apostle Peter and what he says about that. This is the famous Apostle Peter, okay? This is the guy, one of Jesus' original disciples, who was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was the guy that was, that was ready, fire, aim. You know, he was always ahead of the thing. He was always getting himself into trouble. He was brash and rash. And I don't know what those two words mean. I think they're the same thing. I just use them together. He, he, there, he always was, was just getting kind of ahead of things. And he was overly aggressive. And he was a little bit arrogant. And he kept getting himself into trouble. And so he, he had... He had a defining moment in his life that then led him to make different daily decisions. And that's what we read today. We read today what he would say to you and I as we think about this new year in regards to what matters most and how we should think about living. We're going to look at his defining moment later. Right now, we're just going to look at the few things that he says in these next few verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 starts out, The end of all things is near. Stop there. 
the end of all things is near. If you are looking for a broader context, a bigger story, more meaning to your goal setting, more, more meaning and purpose in your decision making for today, you might want to start here, that the end of all things is near. The end of all things is coming. Peter had just walked with Jesus. He had seen the God of the universe come in a human form, live his life, a perfect life, die on a cross, raise from a tomb, and then disappear into heaven. He witnessed that stuff, and he believed to his core, because Jesus said it, that he would come back again. You wonder, okay, why is there so much darkness and pain and brokenness and hurt and agony in the world around us? If there's a good God, why would he allow all this stuff to happen? Well, there's a story that he's telling, and yes, it seems like he's allowing it for now, but this story has a conclusion. The end of all things is near. We don't know when. It wasn't when the, was it the Mayans or whoever the thought it was a few days ago? It clearly wasn't then. But the point is this, you don't know how many days that you have. You're, you don't know how many days. So if you want context, start there. Given the fact that you are not promised your next breath or your next day or this next year, start with that as a framing thing and put your goals up, up against that, right? So let's say just real practically, if you have, if you have a goal to diet, if you want to lose weight, because you have been over this holiday season putting excess things into your face because they were in front of you and they looked good, and you just can't, you don't burn calories like you used to, and you haven't been getting out and playing volleyball at the beach because it's so cold, you might have, you might feel like, I got a little bit of extra in some places, and and, and maybe I just want to look better in a bathing suit, ready? So is that what you want? Is that kind of the goal? Or do you look at this broader context? And find more meaning behind it and say, perhaps, given the fact that the end of all things is near, given the fact that God gave me this body, given the fact that this is the only body I'm going to get, I could replace a hip or a knee maybe, but this is my body, like it or not. Given the fact that, that, that this is how he's wired me, I want to maximize what he's given me. I want to see my grandkids. I want to see my grandkids' kids. I want to wake up tomorrow with energy and passion and be able to have endurance and live out this day. I want to make the most of the time I have, so I want to be healthy. Now, that's motivation, right? That's more real context, given the fact that there is a bigger story that this God has birthed you into and has a plan for your life, a real, real plan for your life that's unique from anybody else's plan. That is the context that we can set some goals. That is the context that Peter sets us up with right here. That is how he frames these next verses. Look at the next one. Therefore, in light of this context, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, some of us are not even alert right? Let's be honest. But you guys are the 11 o'clock service. You don't even believe in God before nine o'clock. So you're, you just, you're fine. You've, you're caffeinated now. You're here. And, and so maybe that's alert enough. Uh, but some of you are not. Some of you are still numb. Some of you are going through the motions. If you were honest and you looked at your life, some of you would realize that you're medicating, that you're going through the routine. It's, it's become humdrum for you. The passion is not there that you've allowed yourself to fall into patterns that are unhealthy. 
and you're just kind of getting by. And that is the norm for some of us. That, that is where we have fallen into, and we've lost that fire. We've lost that alertness, that awareness, and that passion for living. I have a family member that's very close to me who, uh, who has struggled with alcoholism for at least a decade, and up until very recently just was in complete denial of it and was approached by other family members who would try to intervene and say, hey, look, this is out of control. This is killing you. Uh, you're, you're like three DUIs in. You're, you're having this terrible effect on your kids. The, you know, all this is happening and playing out, and he couldn't hear it. He just kept on because he was numb. And because he was, even though his life was really didn't look good, he was numb to it and just couldn't make sense of it until he had a defining moment recently. I wasn't there, but I understand that he came in contact with another person who was like looking in a mirror, and something just clicked for him. And so every day since, he's been making different daily decisions. Every day since, he has gone to AA twice a day, from a decade of denial to Alcoholics Anonymous two times every day. Why? Because something clicked in this defining moment, something crystallized for him, and he saw the truth, he saw the reality that he was numb to his life. Deny the issue itself all you want. The reality is you're not experiencing a full and meaningful life, and he realized it. He came to his senses in that moment. And so since then, he's been making small daily decisions to try to right that ship. Some of us are not alert, and some of us are numb today. Others of us are alert, but we're like alert on ADD. We're, we're like alert to everything. Squirrel or, or the, you know, shiny light. And it's just like our alertness is just on overload. And we're trying to be alert and aware and, and on top of so many things and active in so many things and, and, and be present in so many places. And the question for you is, where, where is your alertness driving you? Are you alert to things that matter? Are you alert to the, the bigger story, to the kingdom of God that's at hand? Are, are you alert to what God is doing in your life, in your mix? Are you alert to the people that are most important around you? Are you alert to those things? Are you paying attention? Is your activity driving you toward God or away from God? As a general rule, always choose impact over activity. I mean, you can be real busy and accomplish nothing. Choose impact over activity and make sure that your alertness is leading you toward God and not distracting you from him. So Paul, the apostle Paul would say, as you look at this new year, starting today, in just this day, frame your story, frame your decision-making based on the things that matter most. And then make sure that you're alert and that you're aware that your alertness leads to prayer, which is just essentially awareness of God in all things. And then he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Repeatedly in scripture is this idea that love is ultimate, that you can fail in a, in a number of other ways, but don't miss this love thing. Jesus said it, God said in the Old Testament, he has his other apostles, they say it time and time again, that love is a big deal. 
You can, you, you know, minor on minors, but major on love. That's, that, is, that is the ultimate thing. So for some of us, a New Year's resolution, a great New Year's resolution, a great New Day's resolution would be to choose love today. Choose love today. Even when your significant other, you leave here, you go home, you go to the place you're going to eat, and your significant other does that pet peeve thing that they always do, even though they know that it's a pet peeve of yours, choose love. Even if your cat, again, poops outside of the litter box, and you're like, really? It's, it's, it's a litter box, and you, it causes you to wonder, why do I even have a litter box? And then your wife is pregnant, and so she can't touch kitty litter, because that's a, that's a thing, I guess. Like, pregnant people can't come in contact with kitty litter. I didn't know that until a few months ago, but that's true, which causes you to wonder, should I touch kitty litter? I mean, if... <laughs> If a pregnant woman can't touch kitty litter, why, why should I touch the nuclear kitty litter that's in my house? Should I have kitty litter even in my house? Should I have a cat in my house is probably the real source of the issue. In spite of my obvious pain and that choice that I make every day, choose love. Choose love. Despite of the agonizing thing that you may be going through, despite of maybe a, a far more serious serious drama that's playing out in your family or in your workplace or whatever it is. Choose love. You have an opportunity every day, I promise you, to choose love. Choose love over anger or whatever your default reaction is. Choose love over bitterness and holding on to that offense. Choose love over unforgiveness and resentment. Choose love over distraction and busyness and trying to climb the the ladder that, you want, that you're on. Choose love instead. Choose to love the people around you deeply. Paul would say, let your alertness cause you to pray and be aware of God's presence in your life. Then trust that God will bring into your life opportunities every day for you to choose love. And then verse nine, he says, then offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Did you know that the early church, when Paul is writing this, they didn't have buildings to meet in like this. They met out in open places, and they met in homes. My goal for us as a community, and if this is your first time here, welcome to the community. You're, you're one of us. My goal for us is that, is that 2013 be the year that we overcome our facility challenges. I don't know if you didn't notice, but we don't own this place. This is a public library with a nice theater that we enjoy, but we don't get it all the time. We have a little office down the street, so there's just some built-in challenges to that, but what if in a year or two years or three years or whenever it is from now, when we, when we have a more permanent place, what if it barely matters because we have become such a hospitable people that we're meeting together in homes all during the week? And Sunday when we gather in a, in a nice place, it's just a bonus. But we're already together. When someone's new, we welcome them in immediately. When someone doesn't have a place to go on Christmas or on a special day, we just have them over. Whether it's a rooted group or a life group or a mothers of young kids group or a husbands and power tools group, I don't care, whatever it is, we, we just welcome each other in. Don't invite me to that one, by the way. I'm not good with it. But... <laughs> We just invite each other in, 
And it's just what we do. We're just together. We're just hospitable people. We choose love. And an outpouring of that is that we become hospitable people. We just open up our homes to one another. It's who we are. That is what I hope and I pray for us as a community. And in 2013, what if that became just a new normal for us? What, what kind of an impact would we have in our city? It would be weird at first, but everyone would secretly love it. And we would just be attractive to people. People tell me all the time, every week it seems, that they walked up on the concrete, on the patio, and they just felt cared about. Someone noticed them, someone welcomed them. People just want to be loved. And we want to welcome in countless more people to this community who need to experience God's love. And then here's how, here's how the Apostle Peter finishes this passage. He says in verse 10, Each of you should use whatever gifts you, you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Did you know that you have been uniquely gifted by God? That nobody has your same gift mix. No one is just like you. Not, no, one, no one in this room, no one in this world. That God has equipped you with unique gifts unlike anybody else that exists. And did you know that those gifts are not meant just for you? That he's given you those gifts so that you can serve others. That's the master plan. That's how you become an expression of him on this earth. He gives you those gifts so that you can serve others. If you are a business genius... You are not a business genius just to acquire wealth for yourself. You are a business genius to add value to society and to help other people have a means of income and provide them meaningful work. Did you know that corporations were started? You were incorporated so that people came together corporately to offer value to their community together in a united effort. That's why corporations started. And that's why we should still do business today, to bring value to our communities and to the lives of people around us, not to acquire stuff, to serve others. If you are wired as a people person and you're a genius in interpersonal relations or whatever your gifts are, if if you are a people person, you are not a people person just so that you can have a few thousand friends on Facebook. That's not the deal. God has given you the gifts that he's given you so that you can be a connector of others, maybe who aren't the most engaging, so that you can bring energy to your environments, that you can make places like this better. You make them come alive with your presence so that you can host stuff and people who don't have a lot of friends can feel like they belong. You are gifted the way you are to serve others. And Paul would say in 2013, with this context that the end of all things is near, that that you don't know how many days that you have and that God made you and put you on earth for a reason, that that, that maybe you can engage with him. You can be alert and look for what he's doing in the world around you, that you can choose to love people deeply, that you can be hospitable, and that you can use the ways he's gifted you to serve others other people, that his grace would just flow. Freely we receive God's grace. Freely we give it away. That's what he would have for us in 2013. Because in 2013, you will make decisions, daily decisions, and you will have defining moments. And you will be ready for whatever comes at you in those defining moments if you're intentional about your daily decisions. 
And this is a great place to start. With that bigger context, with that challenge to be alert, with that commitment to love deeply and to be hospitable and to use our gifts to serve others. Imagine, imagine being sensitive to those things, being intentional about those things in this new year, starting today, in this day, not worried about the future, not stuck in the past, in this moment, intentional, making daily choices. Imagine what that would do to your heart and soul. Imagine how you would be prepared for for no matter what came your way. I told you really quickly that I was going to give you the defining moment that made Peter the man that he was to write these things to us. And here it is. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen to me. It's, it's from John chapter 21. Jesus had already died. He had already raised from the dead. And now he appears to his disciples. It says that it happened this way. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. The significance of that is that when things went wrong, And they didn't know what was going on anymore because Jesus, the Messiah, the hope of the world, died and was buried. And now there were rumors that he was alive again, but they didn't get it. They they thought that the whole whole plan was kind of on its head and, and didn't know where to go. So what did they do? They went back to what they knew. They went back to what they knew. Fishing. So he says, I don't know how all this is playing out. Let's go fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went, got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Which is insulting their intelligence, right? They're fishermen for crying out loud. No, we don't have any fish. Thanks for nothing. We've been out here all night. And so this guy that they don't recognize on the shore shouts out to them. He says, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. Really? Really, guy on the shore? This is what we do for a living. We got this thing down. You think that 12 feet is going to make a difference on us catching fish or not? But they must have, I don't know what they were thinking. They just humored him. And so it says, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because the large number of fish. And then get this. When John, the, the guy who wrote this gospel, when he saw that it was Jesus. He said, it is the Lord. And then soon Peter heard, as soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped on his outer garment because he had taken it off to fish and he jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, just about a hundred yards. So you just have to imagine the insaneness of this scene that these grown men are out fishing. They're trying, they, they haven't caught a thing. A guy calls from the shore and says, throw your nets like 12 feet away on the other side. They actually do it, which is amazing enough. And then they can't even haul the net in. It's, there's so many fish. Immediately they recognize this is a miracle. Uh, that must be Jesus. And as soon, as soon as it enters Peter's mind that this is Jesus on the shore, he, he takes, he puts on his cloak. I mean, you know, if you've ever jumped in water, you want, the fewer the things on, the better, uh, because they soak water. So this would have been like, uh, soaking wet, it would have been like 50 pounds on his body. He put it on out of respect, because he was, you know, scantily clad, and then he jumped 
into the water. And imagine this grown man flapping, just smacking at the water, trying to get to the shore. He's only 100 yards away. The guys in the boat probably beat him there. But he just had this moment, this, this defining moment when he recognized Jesus was there, he was here, and he needed to immediately, as fast as possible, be where Jesus was. That Jesus was on the shore even after, if you know the story, Peter had denied him. That when Jesus was being led to the cross, he was asked, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter said, no, I've never seen him before in my life. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame of betraying your best friend who, parentheses, happens to be the God of the universe, dying for your sins? And he had to live with that. And then Jesus comes to him. And him standing there on the shore was him saying, you're forgiven. The plan's still on. You're still my guy. And when Peter got that, he just needed to be where Jesus was as fast as possible. He looked like a fool, and it didn't matter. When you hit a defining moment, the main thing to keep in mind, really one of the few things that matters, is just to figure out where Jesus is and be there. And regardless of what the world throws at you, regardless of your defining moment is like that or something different, the way you prepare for the unexpected is by making daily decisions that lead you on the path of who God designed you to be. And that's what I pray for us as a community in 2013. That's the invitation for you to frame your resolutions, whatever that looks like for you in this new year. God, I pray that you would give us each the courage to listen to you, to respond to you, to, to, to think in a different way about our goals and, our, and who we want to be in this new year. That we would be people that, that choose to stay alert and aware of what you're doing around us and how you might want to speak to our souls that we would be people who would choose to love others deeply, that we would be people who took a risk and chose to be hospitable and welcome others in, even, even if our lives aren't perfect, even if our houses aren't perfect, and even if those people aren't perfect. And that, that we would be people who use the gift that you've given us to serve others in a way that promotes your generous grace. We pray this in Jesus' name.